Welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. All right, well, we brought on a special guest for this week, uh, Krug. Glad we could have you on. I'm glad to be on the show. <laughs> is that is well, that the uh, is that the introduction, Krug? I'm, I'm curious. Can, can I hear a story of that? Uh, I had to come up with a name in between when I had some free time, and I, I looked up like a orc name that sounded like it would fit your guys's kind of familiar um, name setup, which, so I don't know. I, I just wasn't happy with the name I gave him, which I thought was perfectly serviceable. Uh, no, your name was um, too much. I like Krug. <laughs> it's also uh, the reason it stood out is me and Ulrich used to play an old board game. Uh, it was called Heroescape, I believe. And there was yep. a big, orc guy who would smash things and had a bunch of health and his name was krug and that was kind of kind of i guess where it came from i you further awesome. approve i like orcs so <laughs> anyway well, all right tell us what we're talking about as promised all of october we're going to do just general halloween themed podcast episodes and what better way to start than with serial killers uh okay that's a bit of a stretch but <laughs> okay I mean, personally, right, I, I think Halloween, I don't think, I mean, scary stuff, maybe, horror movies, maybe, but not, like, real serial killers, but we're already neck deep in this, so um, why not? Yeah, and, you know, we all kind of came up with lesser known, I think, was our goal. I don't know if we really achieved that, because with the internet and everything, it's getting harder and harder for there to be lesser known, but I don't think, I think only Krug's Choice has a movie made about her. Uh, incorrect. My, my choice has a, uh, a movie. Well, mine might be the only one without a movie, but he's got plenty of uh, notoriety. So I'll jump right in. I'm going to talk about H.H. Holmes. Uh, America's, America's first, first serial, killer. serial killer. Sorry to steal your glory with that. I, I only know about H.H. Holmes, honestly, because it's Supernatural. Because he shows up in an early season episode. <laughs> That's right. Tell me more details about H.H. Holmes. Because if I know you, Ulrich, you did some actual research. And the only things I know about H.H. Holmes are what I basically got from uh, Supernatural and a little bit from a documentary I wrote. That's or, uh, I read. Uh, I didn't read a documentary. I watched one about this guy saying that he thought H.H. Holmes was Jack the Ripper because they operated at the same time, had similar writing or some bull like that. I know that he had a murder castle. Well, yeah, I'll talk about that. I'm going to disagree with the idea that H.H. Holmes is Jack the Ripper. I almost did Jack the Ripper because for a while there, I wanted to become what's called a Ripperologist, which well, is a historian that is dedicated to figuring out who Jack the Ripper was. Well, Jack the Ripper... Okay, here's the funny thing. If, um, if you talk about successful criminal, right, then you can gauge that in a lot of things. So while Jack the Ripper's body count isn't anywhere near the, the most like the highest body counts. You could argue that he's the most successful serial killer for the two reasons that one, he was never caught. And two, he remains a big part of the public conscious well after he must be dead. <laughs> Cause you know, just to time, like he is his inf he is the most infamous serial killer ever. Well, probably. he really is kind of known because he establishes the serial killer. Well, not really the serial killer term, but a lot of people do consider him the first serial killer, and I'll go into why. So, interestingly enough, his he was born Herbert Herman Webster Mudgett. Oh, we in, shifted uh, back to H.H. H. Holmes. Okay, we're yes. talking about H. 
in uh, May 16th, 1861. So pretty early. Yeah. Um, his first murder, interestingly enough, is to commit insurance fraud. He, he murdered insurance fraud? You mean his first crime? Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, no, I'll get to it. He murdered a man, disguised him as himself, and used it to fake his death and changed his name to H.H. Holmes. Oh, yeah, I did. I remember hearing about that. Okay. So this was his on, first real murder. Before, before we go any farther, Krug, do you know anything about H.H. Holmes? You've heard of him before? Uh, no, he's definitely a new one to me. Um, never really heard anything about it, so it's really interesting to hear you guys dive into more about his history. All right, go for it, Oric. Yeah, so that's his first real murder. He was poor, he wanted money, so he faked his death, murdered somebody, and reinvented himself as H.H. Holmes. Is it just me, or is the idea of, like, murder for financial gains somehow... Okay, so there's this interesting, I think, fascination with uh, a serial killer in the, the public conscious, right? Like, they they, they occupy a certain space in, in what, how people think. And I think that we, we know we tell a lot of stories. Uh, you know, there's a lot of crime dramas, procedurals, and stuff like that. And a lot of the times, the best villain in said show is usually a serial killer or something like that. I, I mean, it comes to mind like Red John from The Mentalist or something like that. But in those cases, the their interest, their motivations are always you know something very ephemeral. Like they do it because they're really you know screwed up in the head and they get some kind of like sick pleasure out of it, or maybe they're doing it for some greater like you know, purpose and they're insane or Satan worshipers. Oh, uh, Kevin Spacey in seven, you know, is a great example of this. Um, but you know, it's, yeah, it's far more likely that most murder in history happens for either, uh, like emotional, um, what's the word? Um, you do, uh, impulse, emotional impulse or financial gain, but there's something like, uh, what's the word? Not boring, but like when you hear, Oh, he did it to make money. It's It's too normal. Yeah. It's just kind of like, yeah, but that's the thing. We'll get into it as we kind of go into it more. But yeah, the first guy's like, I don't want to be poor anymore. So I'm going to take out a massive life insurance policy on myself. And then, oh, no, I died. And I left it all to this guy called H.H. Holmes. He's a doctor. Did you know? <laughs> yeah. So he goes and he becomes a doctor. And he kind of discovers, wow, they can't get enough bodies for these medical schools. If And, you know, they pay a lot of money for these corpses. So... What's a guy to do? Any uh, guesses, folks? Bodies? <laughs> you gotta make the bodies. Yeah. He kind of goes and he, he starts real simple with, you know, grave robbing. And he goes and he actually resells the caskets. All right. I mean, it seems interesting that he would, um, you know, that the idea that people would go out of their way to like kill someone to make money off of it. Because I think that's, I mean, it's not for like a any kind of consistent amount of income to be thinking about that seems to definitely the have to be <laughs> they're definitely you wouldn't it wouldn't be something i think that most people would think is a really lucrative thing wow i can make my entire life's living off of murdering people and sell their bodies you know oh, for well the longest probably, time it was a big industry well i was gonna say not not since modern history i guess i mean because think about uh I, I was looking up lists of like you know what prolific recorded killers exist in what groups and stuff like do you know that the most prolific or the highest body count for a group of people belongs to like a mafia gang called like the uh, the poisonous poisonous philadelphia's or something like that but it's the idea they were they were hired hitmen and if you go back like you you think about something like game of thrones right that there are mercenary groups technically their job is to go kill people right and 
it, there's even today there's you know um for-profit military contractors essentially and it's not i'm not saying it's the same thing i'm not equating these people to serial killers but i'm saying that the distinction is an interesting one because you know you're you're making money off of murder it's just one way is sanctioned and the other isn't i feel like that's a really dangerous line to walk with what i'm saying <laughs> I am not at all trying to insult these people. I'm just saying, like, you think about it on paper, it's a weird kind of distinction. Yeah. No, he, I mean, the thing is, at about this time, there, if a body showed up in a medical school and it looked like natural causes, they're not going to ask how they died because they need the bodies. And for the longest time, this was a big thing. Look up uh, the story of Burke and Hare. That's a really, it's a great movie and an interesting story about grave robbing. Well, how old was H.H. H. Holmes at this point? I think at this point, he's in his early to mid 20s so this would be around the 1910s uh not so, even 1910s because he dies 1896 oh i miss i misread the the die date versus the born date okay so this would be the 1880s then uh yeah because modern medicine right however you define that like is not that old so it, it, you know it makes sense that at that time there was a lot of like there's still a lot of very archaic practices but you know using bodies for research was a very important thing at the time well you had to learn yeah. anatomy you had to learn how to operate on bodies and where else are you going to do it i also feel like um part of that that went like hand in hand is that they couldn't really identify like you know how people died as easily and if or if they had a sickness like what exactly was wrong with them and it, I feel like murder kind of may have been a little bit harder to die, to diagnose that they you know they were murdered instead of dying by a natural cause because they didn't really necessarily know the difference. They didn't care a lot of the times. Like he kind of discovered, it's like they need bodies, I can get them bodies. So he's kind of you know he's grave robbing a bit, and he doesn't do the. He's got a partner, and he earns some money, and he opens a little you know uh, shop. And this is the start of what I actually referred to as the castle. Yeah, the murder it's, castle. We'll get into. And he sets, gets, he gets his buddy in there, and he builds a giant kiln down in the basement to cremate the bodies so he can, you know, sell the bones because articulated skeletons are worth more. And he covers this all up by filing a patent for a new form of glass making under his buddy's name. Huh. Now, after a while, he decides to take out a massive life insurance policy on his partner and lock him in the kiln. <laughs> Because, you know, that, that's the natural next step. Yep, and sells his body to the uh, medical college for parts and claims his life insurance. I mean, you know, when you look at that from a, you know, if you were looking at it from an unreasonable perspective, I mean, sure, you get plenty of money, you get make even more money when you turn his body in, there's no evidence to be found. I mean, what's seems like a flawless murder, right? This is pretty great. Yeah, it's the let's use all the parts kind of philosophy. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he kind of he keeps building on this little hotel, which he called the castle, little by little, you know, adding new things. One of the first things he installed was a safe that acted as an impromptu gas chamber. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember reading that he had uh, something like over the course of its run, 13 different architects, or maybe it was 30. But anyway, he kept switching out architects so that like no one person would know the entire layout. He filled it with hallways that led to nowhere and secret chambers in the walls and shit. Yep, he did. He didn't want anyone to know how to do it. And he designed it so that he could murder somebody in one room and then process, uh, you know, he'd go down through a series of secret passageways and body dumps and whatnot to the basement 
and collect the body. So lots of um, what are those things that used to be in houses called, where you open up the the like a door in the wall? Dumbwaiter. Yes, dumbwaiter. Lots of dumbwaiters. I would guess. Kind of like that. No, it is really complex system of body drops, and I'm not going to go into a bunch of detail because we don't have time for it. There's a lot of stuff, but he keeps evolving and murdering more and more people. And then he eventually gets uh, on top of the kiln in the basement. He upgrades and he has two vats, one full of a flesh eating chemical, which he tosses the bodies in and strips down to the bones. And then another vat of bleach in which he bleaches the bones and sells them on. Sounds and, like a factory. Oh, it, it's exactly what it is. It's a murder factory. He keeps forging, life insurance policies on his guests, murdering them, and then selling their bodies. I wonder how long it how long did it take people to catch on to this, you know? I mean what was the thing when... is they didn't for the longest time because then he starts hiring women as, you know, secretaries and, you know, maids and typists, and he rapes them, murders them, and sells their bodies. And this is when he starts getting into real serial killer territory because then he decides he likes the idea of family murders in which he murders entire families. Why not get it all once, right? I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. Wow. And uh, then the World's Fair rolls around, which a bunch of people came to Chicago and needed some place to stay. And he's like, hey, I have this great hotel. Don't mind that the, uh, you know, gas lights actually poison you and then I carve up and sell your body. So anyways, you know, he's murdering people, turning a hefty profit, and <laughs> people start getting suspicious about all these dis- people that disappeared during the World's Fair. Can I, can I just say, investigation. can I interrupt you for a second and just say that this is kind of what I was talking about, where it's like, I'm not sure if this is not necessarily fun Halloween conversation. Like, um, I knew going in we're going to have this conversation, and still you take this description of his, like, vats, and I'm just like, I don't know how to bring levity to that. There's probably oh, a joke in there worse. somewhere, but yeah. a better comedian than me is required. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, people start getting suspicious. And the cops come around and they find a bunch of packaged body parts out in front of the castle. They're kind of like, hey, Mr. Holmes, uh, well, what's all these body parts about? And he gives them some bullshit BS answer and sends them on their way. And they're like, okay, something's wrong with that guy. But we're going to look into it further. And he's like, oh, shit, they're on to me. I might as well burn this place to the ground and flee. But not before I murder two more people and take all their money. You really like that money. It, it kind of seems to be justification. Like, well, I had to do it for the money. You know, it wasn't that I enjoyed murdering people. And he goes on and he murders a Texas heiress and her sister, steals all her money, and then uh, kidnaps two children and murders them. And, you know, eventually he gets caught for insurance fraud. It's definitely not what you would have expected him to get busted for, right? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, like, it's the classic Al Capone. Al Capone was mm-hmm. caught for tax evasion. Yeah. You can catch these guys for weird stuff. So the funny thing is, you know, he be- goes on and he becomes a national sensation. This guy that was making money off dead bodies. Wow. This guy was so smart. This guy was so incredible. Until they find all the letters from the children he'd been traveling with that were supposed to be sent back to their parents. And he kept his trophies. And that's when people went, oh, wait, you're not a cool, you know, money scheming capitalist. You're a murderer. Murderers are bad. All right. Well, that's that's the thing is like he's a natural, national, uh, you know, sensation. He writes a book. He's all very popular. And everyone's like, oh, he's only doing it for a buck. That's fine. Then they find out he murdered children. It's like, oh, okay. Well, you know, capitalism's okay, but murdering people, we draw the line. (laughs) Well, only in America, right? I mean, come on. It's what we're founded upon here. So, you know. He's convicted of nine murders originally, 
Some people suspect it's 27, and a lot of people think it's even higher at close to 200. He admitted to 27 murders. Nine, they are 100% sure he did. The remaining, you know, the 200 number comes from the fact that a lot of people got, we don't know like a lot of these people just got, oh, well, they disappeared. Oh, well, it was, you know, an accident. You number of things because he used gas to kill people and strangulation and chloroform and things that don't leave mark. So he's, you know, taken to hang and he's said to have given this, you know, they were, he did his whole confession of everything he did. It's really chilling. And he has this to say, I was born with a devil in me. I could not help the fact that I was a murderer. No more than a poet can help the inspiration to sing. I was born with the evil one standing as my sponsor besides the bed where I ushered into the world. And he has been with me since, which that's just kind of, that, that's bone chilling to me. So you like your quotes. <laughs> I do like my quotes, but that kind of sticks. And it gets even creepier. So he uh, he's hung and buried. And he asked that his body is sealed in cement so that he won't get donated or, you know, uh, sold. <laughs> Sorry, that'd be the perfect uh, justific- or perfect irony, right? <laughs> yeah, he knew that would happen. He didn't want that to happen. So anyways, like not too long ago, uh, they exhumed his body to make sure it was actually him because people began to speculate that he had gotten away and faked his death again. And because he was sealed in concrete, his body was perfectly preserved, mustache and all. Okay, in all fairness, I know that... Okay, because recently I watched... Um, I don't know what the channel is called. I, I should, because then I could promote them so I'm talking about their video. There's this channel on YouTube where they get, like, uh, experts on to talk about how whatever their expertise is is portrayed in movies. It started off with just a guy who's a um, like a vocal dialect coach talking about how different... Uh, accents and languages and stuff it's really interesting but one of the last videos was a forensic investigator so they brought him to like talk about different scenes of forensic investigation in movies and television and how accurate they are and he actually brought up i think it was a castle it was a scene in castle where there was a body that was a buried in concrete i think that the show might have actually had him be buried under concrete but he um he mentions that in you know in reality if you were to have a body be in concrete like uh and when you have to pull that out you're using like you know hammers to break the concrete he said that the likelihood of getting that body out in you know even a relatively few number of pieces is extremely low no, I think it was just that the concrete, you know, wrapped around the coffin and sealed everything in nice and tight. Okay, I mean, I suppose if he's in a coffin, then might help. They didn't just dump his, you know, body like, yeah, all right, let's dump this crazy. In the concrete, you go. I don't I know. Mean, I mean, think about his story. I would, I would buy it. I mean, essentially, he was mummified, right? I mean, if you mm-hmm. look at just like the way bodies decompose, um, if you know, you know, there's no, there's no air and there's no moisture and there's no other, you know, effects in there. I mean, he's not gonna mold. He's not gonna rot. He's not gonna you know, decompose on any level because there's no bacteria to do so. So he should, yeah, essentially should, other than some withering and some dehydration, should relatively stay the same. But, you know, because of him, they really started considering mass murderers and looking at, you know, studying it. And a lot of uh, forensic, you know, uh, criminal investigators kind of study him and go, yeah, and you can kind of draw a direct line to other, you know, big people that went on like Gacy and Manson and some of these other crazy well-known serial killers, like they all kind of tie back to a lot of similarities we saw with this, you know, murderous motherfucker in his evil hotel. 
Well, I think we should move on from this extremely happy, morbid story to a different extremely happy, morbid story. Hey, you can so, share it with your friends at the Halloween party when you're all sharing ghost stories. Uh, anyway, since you already <laughs> um, said the name, why don't you, well, Craig, why don't you tell us what this Eileen Woronos, I mean, I'm reading that name and that, that those you placement, I can't pronounce that shit. Uh, so my understanding is that it's pronounced Eileen Woronos. Uh, that's the way I've heard it pronounced. Um, so I guess where I should start out is the fact that basically was her childhood was pretty rough and everything. There was a lot of things that definitely led up to where she was at. So um, what she's most known for was being an American serial killer who uh, was a prostitute. And she would then claim that the men that she was that were paying her to you know sleep with her, obviously, would then... Um, she would consider them to be raping her or somehow sexually abusing her. And then she'd use that as a justification to uh, shoot them in the head. Um, so was blank. she using her act like as a prostitute to murder men? Or like, how did the first murder happen? Do you know? Um, from Like, was it legit rape and she saw it and was like, oh, wow, I actually like that. Okay. Uh, so my, from based on her childhood history and a lot of the other leading facts, they... they what they believe was going on was that she had had some issues with her uh, stepfather who had been convicted of sexual activity with both her older brother, with her. And uh, so her stepfather was having, had been convicted of doing drugs and raping children. And oh a lot boy, of this is a really fun episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, I warned you at the beginning, man. <laughs> Uh, so then when she came older, this obviously kind of resurfaced. And I think she used the, um, the first murder was she, she, you know, she started having a man came onto her and she had these um, same kind of feelings that she had when her, um, stepfather had caused, you know, had been doing this to her and Flashback, it, 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 it kind of, it keyed to her, um, murdering him um, and almost as a flight or flight response, but that's, that's totally a story level. for the star. Yeah. Um, so uh, from there, it seemed like she continued to use this cover because I think, uh, I don't know, it's really dark to say, I guess, to talk about all this stuff, is that um, it becomes a very um, iffy thing when it comes to the law, when it comes to, you know, whether or not it was sexual assault or it was not. And I think she tried to use that as her cover. And that's what she used when she went to court for being, um, she was basically being claimed to have killed these seven men and that she did it not out of self-defense, but out of murder. And she continued to claim even after her conviction that it was out of self-defense and they were doing this to her. So the way that she got caught was during her last murder. Um, he was, a he was a trucker and a security guard and, uh, he was discovered near roadside and they. So she just shot the bodies and dumped them. Uh, yeah. So um, Antonio, so the last man that she killed name was Walter Antonio and he was age of 62 which is definitely interesting that if you look at the men that she murdered they're all over the age of 40 like her youngest kill was 43 of David Spears and um, each one what she would do was uh, they would she would murder them by shooting them at point blank um, and then she would leave their nude bodies along the road and this is a very common this, this is the, a recurring thing she did in almost every one of her bodies. She'd shoot them. Uh, let's see. David Spears was shot six times. 
and her last kill was shot five times and he would just be they would just be left next to their cars in the middle of the road so she's definitely leaving a trail that could that was being led back to her but yeah it it doesn't sound like this is a good build-up for well they tried to rape me i got you but why'd you strip them naked and leave them also why'd you shoot them six times it's definitely because they uh, didn't die the first time uh i mean you can you can see like in every one of these you can also see that the men were trying to like resist her like they're talking about uh in one of her kills there uh, like the door handle for the door was like ripped off when oh, like their attempt to like get out of the got out of the car and they and every single one of them they were shot at more than twice so she was definitely not just doing it as self defense Especially after the sixth time, seventh time. Was there, it sounds like it was like a revenge thing almost. Yeah, see, yes. like, if it happened once or twice and she, like, went to the police afterwards saying, like, hey, this happened, I killed this guy because he was going to, you know, hurt me or rape me, yeah, that'd be one thing. But keep on doing it, dump the bodies like that, to shoot that many times, that that's a lot of that's a lot of things that add up to she was doing it on purpose. <laughs> well... I, I, mean, I haven't seen it, but I know the movie Monster with uh, Charlize Theron. That's her? That's oh. her. I haven't seen that movie, but I know that Charlize Theron is awesome in it. At least, okay, no is the ro- a strong word. I have heard many people I respect say that her performance in that movie is really good. I thought she won an Oscar for it. If she did, I'm unaware of it, but I wouldn't be surprised. But I, I think Charlize Theron's awesome, but sure. I'm assuming you haven't seen it, Thug? Uh, I have not, and I'm. It'd be interesting, definitely, to watch it. I think even a lot of there's a lot more stuff coming out, both on Netflix, on Hulu, on TV, about you know serial killers and a lot of their history. Um, well, that uh, that we, we about, thing got really big, right? So yeah, there's an innate fascination in these people, and I don't know why. I mean, I kind of I appreciate macabre history, but. I think it's kind of people want to know what led these people to do it and why they did it. I mean, Holmes kind of starts is I think it's interesting. Like, I want money, and then he found out. Oh, I like money and murdering people. What a coincidence! Well, there's also, and I just got to talk about it, like the villain in a story is a lot of times, at least for me, and I know a lot of other people like the most interesting part, right? Like, you can have a, a really great hero, but if you don't have a great villain, then anyway. But you apply that to real life, and like I said, there's a lot of crime stories, and there's a lot of great fictional serial killers that are interesting for one reason or another. And you know, usually we we picture them as these like in super intelligent, manipulative forces. But most serial killers, like statistically in reality, are you know below a certain IQ range, have a certain set of yeah. They're not very smart. They're not very clever. They typically get caught through a dumb mistake. Yeah, so it's it's interesting when you find the ones who are hey, oh, have something, but then it's really interesting. Like Holmes being the first American serial killer is one thing, but his creation of the murder castle over you know decades, like that's what's really interesting about her. This uh, this Eileen Woronos, it sounds like it's it's more like the ment- uh, the psychology going into what she's doing and why she's doing that's that's interesting. Final body count. Um, so her. Convicted body count was seven, and that's that they all have as a report. Or uh, she was sentenced for six murders, though. That's the only of the six that she was sentenced for. Um, that six. Those were the only ones they could prove, as far as I could tell. Ah. Uh, I would also not be surprised if the first one would get off for you know self defense, but everyone after that, <laughs> no. Yeah. So one of the interesting things um, is the fact that so she at the age of fifteen 
Uh, she dropped out of high school. And that's when she began being a prostitute and started supporting herself through her prostitution was at age 15. And her first um, real encounter with a murder wasn't for up to like three years later. So she'd been doing this for a period of time before she finally went over the edge. Something just snapped and she went on a murder spree. That's crazy. What's even more interesting is that, I mean, she started, she also had some other definitely criminal activity and she'd been cited and like looked at for many of other crimes, like shooting um, like a 22 pistol in public and uh, getting in like different confrontations with people. And she obviously had some amount of anger issues that kind of boiled underneath from some yeah. of her actions. When was this going on? Um, so she was born in 1956 and she, so she started about 15 years later. So it would make it 1971, right? Her first murder started in 1989. Uh, when the, this was when he was, his body was found. So she was doing it in, in like the late eighties, early nineties. Really? Yeah. Wow. And then, and so it was definitely, she's, She'd been doing this for quite a. She'd been being a prostitute for quite a while before that they'd even found her first murder body. This is the first when the first change started occurring, um, and then her last murder was in 1990. So they all like her six murders were all convicted over the course of like less than two years. Huh. This is um, almost contemporary. You know what's really interesting with this for me? Uh, I don't know how to phrase this the right way because okay, so sex work is such a interesting like topic i don't know a whole lot about it but from what i can tell countries where it's legal like australia end up having um much better conditions for sex workers because since it's legal there are systems in place for regulating it making sure you know health codes stuff like that but because america is so relatively backwards when it comes to things like that right you like here first folks axel endorses prostitution I I endorse the legalization of <laughs> anything that doesn't cause like overtly direct harm on people. So like, you know, I I for instance, I find most drugs should probably be legalized. I don't do drugs, but I still think that like, you know, alcohol is worse than most drugs. So it just is weird have to put so many disclaimers on the front of this video. I don't know. It's it's just a weird it's a weird inconsistency. <laughs> I'm just saying that I know that sex workers, it's like they tend to have terrible conditions in, in the United States. And I, anyway. Um, it's legal in Nevada, right? That's yeah. Nevada's the only state legal. where it's legal. Yeah. But the reason why I was bringing this up is that I know that, or I don't know, but uh, wasn't John Wayne Gacy, weren't most of his victims prostitutes? And wasn't, weren't most of Ted Bundy's victims prostitutes? So it's Ted like. Ted Bundy's were. Ted, yeah. And he was also preying on the local gay community. I don't know about Gacy. I just know that, like, I, I've seen that a lot in shows and movies. I don't know how related it is to reality. That, but I, I think I remember reading statistics once that you know prostitutes tend to be like proportionally a higher percentage of murder victims, especially serial killer victims. So then they have well, this the person. That they disappear. No one's looking for them. Yeah. Um, so, so then have this person who's a sex worker, serial killer. It's like, I don't know. It's just. It's interesting. There's there's something there. It puts it definitely at a high risk. I agree. You know, just even just being a prostitute without the risk of murder is a lot of you know concerns that go on with that. Um, I have seen some stuff about Ted Bundy. I watched a couple of his documentaries, and one of the things I knew he was known for was he went onto a college campus and he went into a girl's dormitory and he killed like I think five women in their sleep with like a bat. That seems very loud. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, he just went in and beat them while they were sleeping. And uh, he, and he, basically they were all, you know, asleep, so they couldn't really defend herself. And they just mashed them over the head. And he's, he basically escaped from it and wasn't caught for quite a while after that. So Wow, this is a much darker episode than I had planned. <laughs> hey, you want to do an episode on serial killers. And I was like, yeah, that's not Halloween happy. That's like dark shit. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we'd have some levity, but we got Krug talking about, you know... Bashing people's heads in. So why don't you bring us, you know, to the end with? Oh God, I just read the name. <laughs> so okay, first of all, I want to kind of talk about if you don't, if you have anything else about Eileen, I don't want to cut you off, Craig. Um, I think we got it all. I think the only thing I was going to add to that was that she was so she was convicted and sentenced to death, and then she died by lethal injection on two thousand in two thousand two, October 9th. That's, that's we do we should have that kind of information because we're talking about these really terrible people or you know want to know if they're still alive right there, also there's our Halloween hook she died in October also um weird side note and you have now made a part of my life really weird with this information because my car is named Eileen so, <laughs> at least at least it's spelled differently so our Axel's driving a motormobile. Anyway, so um, I want to briefly mention. So when we when Ulrich told me we we're gonna do serial killers, I I visited a wiki page for you know like various. So of course the FBI's got me in a file somewhere. <laughs> um, I was curious, and I'm sure that a lot of people out there have thought about it at one point. Like who was the most successful known serial killer? And again, we're judging success in this context by highest number of bodies. Now Before the reason. Yeah, yeah. So um, it depends on what you mean by serial killer. So there's the, the actual highest known serial killer I'll talk about in a second is a like a medical doctor. So I'm going to spend most of the time talking about him. But I want to briefly mention that the most prolific serial killer who was not a medical person was a guy named uh, Louis Alfredo Garavito Cubillos, who was known as Lo Bestia or the Beast, and he um he operated out of uh, Colombia, Ecuador, and one other country that I can't think of right now. But just reading a little bit of his page was one of the most horrifying things I've read. So I'm not actually going to go into detail about what he did. But uh, I will say that his sentence is, because he's alive currently, is uh, 1,853 years and nine days. Wow. And he had a confirmed kill total of something like you know almost 200 or uh, even more is like anywhere between 172 and 300 plus is what it what it says on the on the wiki page but i wanted to bring him up because i think in the west right it gets overlooked that countries like colombia and ecuador and venezuela in fact the top four people on that list of circulars with the highest known victim count three of them operated out of colombia and ecuador so this these regions where this kind of stuff happens it it doesn't get the same kind of news coverage in the west so people like louis garavito don't become well known here so this guy is horrifying and reading about what he did is horrifying and because of uh colombia or whatever he's i don't know if he's actually in colombia right now but because of the laws of the country he's in he's set to be released in 2021 because even though he's got that that you know, almost two thousand year sentence. The 
the country's laws prohibit like a sentence greater than 60 years or something like that. And, I, uh, no offense, Columbia, but you're off my travel list. Yeah, and he's been interviewed saying that as soon as he gets out, he plans to go into politics for like abused children to protect, and that's what his his victims were all pre like adolescent children between six. Oh and God! So that's uh, horrible. So yeah, yeah, and also uh, it, according to the page, he's known as a model inmate who is respectful, friendly with the guards, and has good behavior and it's like i don't know it's just it's horrifying oh, they always are uh hh H. holmes was a ladies man and was very charming and you know friendly towards children anyway if you want to know about the person known as the worst serial killer who is currently alive <laughs> uh that's Not North now folks yeah now on the other hand the most by the numbers successful serial killer in recorded history because you know we don't know I mean, there like if you don't count, if you just count anyone who does murder, there's the White Death, who was that sniper in Russia who had supposedly body count of over 700, but he was you know military, so it doesn't count as serial killing. Anyway, but uh, there's a nickname used by several different killers in history, Doctor Death, but really that moniker, as far as I'm concerned, belongs to uh, Harold Frederick Shipman, who was a British doctor who killed people with morphine. Um, the, the well, that's doc- nice. Uh, yeah, he killed over 250 people over the course That's of... That's you know, not as nice. <laughs> uh, and that's the thing is, like, the the most, generally speaking, the highest body counts are uh, angels of death or whatever you want to call them because they can, you know, do it in that kind of environment. And this guy, like, you read about um, his story and his, uh, when he was young, his mother died of like some kind of cancer i forgot uh but he watched her you know use morphine as she was going near the end and it like you know eased her pain and his victims were mostly elderly women like 80 percent of his victims were elderly women but healthy ones (laughs) you're old it's time for you to die yeah basically um i thought you were gonna have kind of like oh this is a nice serial killer to end on no no there's no such thing yeah no that's the thing is like you re- <laughs> I thought at first it might be, oh, he was just a euthanasia guy, but no, he, he killed a lot of women who were perfectly healthy. Uh, his, he was convicted for like 15 murders or something like that, and then a, a later on inquiry found upwards of 218 confirmed, essentially, bodies, and then uh, estimated over 250. Uh, his he was the only like British doctor ever convicted of murdering his patients. And so because of that, there's this term called the shipment effect because when he was finally found out and arrested, he, it caused an overhaul of the British uh, healthcare and legal system to deal with what allowed him to operate the way he did. Well, go into that. Cause I'm kind of curious now, like why was he murdering these old ladies just because he thought they were old and they deserved to die? Well, here's the thing. He so he um he hung himself on the eve of his fifty eighth birthday, oh. uh, and he Man, never. I kind of remember this guy now. I remember yeah, he, the story about it. He, for the record, his um his time period operation. He was born in nineteen forty six. He died in two thousand and four, and he operated from uh primarily the mid eighties to the late nineties. So it's like in that period that um a lot of the deaths supposedly occurred, and 
because he always maintained that he was innocent, he said that the evidence used against him was incorrect. Uh, he, he never confessed. We don't know really what his motivation was, but you know, it, there's definitely the, he had a trauma with his mother. Uh, we know that some of it was financial because how he was eventually caught was his last victim. Uh, the last person she saw was him because he did a house visit. He did a lot of house visits and, it was, you know, people didn't put it together until later. This pattern of, oh, he'd visit someone at their house and then they die. That's not a good doctor. <laughs> yeah, but this last, this last victim, uh, she left a will where she left nothing to her, you know, children, but a large sum to him, and so that so was like kind of getting back to the H H Holmes. I'm going to kill you for your money. Exactly, and then that led to like, uh, what was it? oh, he he claimed that she had actually you know, talked about in comments, like how she, you know, friendly she was with him and how she was going to like make sure he was okay. And he showed the police the comments in his medical journal, but then they found out that like those were written after she was dead. And then they found like a typewriter in his house that was traced that that was used to make the will. Uh, he didn't they, cover his tracks very well, did he? Apparently not. Uh, after, after he was sentenced, he was too busy gassing old ladies. Yeah. I mean, like, here's the interesting thing I think that plays into that is like, you know, you talk about the issues that he has. With- so I wonder if he almost thought he was doing like the right thing. Well, they all do. That's kind of the interesting thing is like even Holmes, he had this whole big, you know, I, like I said, I was doing it because I had no choice. And uh, yours is like, well, they tried to rape me. And this guy, they always have some twisted justification to their action. The thing that they say is, uh, you know, do you want to know if you're crazy or not? Is, uh, do you think you're crazy? You know, I mean, if if you don't think if you think what you're doing is perfectly sane, you're you're probably nuts. <laughs> there, yeah. There's a lot of ways to take that. Um, <laughs> while while he was while he was in prison, they found like a hundred pieces of jewelry in his garage, and they they confiscated it all right, and to see if like he, he had stolen them from his victims. One piece was proven to belong to one of his victims because they used photographic evidence. Uh, 66 pieces were returned to his wife who was able to show that they actually belonged to her. And the last like 32 or 33 were auctioned uh, and the money was donated to some like victims charity or something like that. You tell me the auctioned off a murderer is like old jewelry. Like who the hell would want that? Like, yeah, I totally want that sitting on the wall. (laughs) Are you telling me you wouldn't want Jack the Ripper's top hat? Uh, no, I feel like there's definitely some bad juju going on with that hat. Like, he, I was some... just thinking about, like, and then it possesses you, and okay, you might be right. Yeah. Have you seen Warehouse 13? Come on. Anyway, uh, so another thing that's interesting about him, as far as I'm concerned, is this doesn't, this doesn't uh, validate him or make him a good person or anything like that, but supposedly why he killed himself was for the financial stability of his wife. So his his wife, right, had started apparently to suspect him. Apparently one of the last letters she sent to him said, tell me everything, something like that. And um, he killed himself on the eve of his 58th birthday, supposedly because as long as he died before he turned 60, his wife would still get uh, his medical pension or something like that. So that's just an interesting side note about this guy that apparently in some ways, you know, at least he cared about his wife. It's just one of those things. It's not saying this validates him. It's saying that a terrible person can still be capable. 
well, I, actually, I've been watching a lot of BoJack Horseman, which teaches me that there's no such thing as terrible or good people. There's just people who do good and bad things. And this guy <laughs> did mostly bad things. So, uh, Scrap everything good I said about him. Yeah, basically. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, he... Had, I mean, that's why he's Dr. Death, because he was a doctor who literally killed people with morphine. Like, they exhumed one of the bodies of one of the last ones, he, and they found these just huge quantities of morphine in her body now you asked about like what kind of things that they overhauled with the shipment effect uh example they made it so that like how the signing of death certificates basically changed entirely because you know when he killed women he would go to their houses he'd be the only doctor there and you know when he's signed a death certificate he would basically not get it countersigned he would just be like oh here take it and a bunch of doctors in the inquiry got tried for misconduct because basically they didn't follow up or look into what he was doing or notice that the number of elderly women in his hospital that died in you know year he started was like 69 and the year he like two years later was 119 or something like that it's like no one noticed these patterns jesus christ yeah and uh they also this wasn't directly because the inquiry made a bunch of what's the word recommendations for how to stop this from happening this one wasn't a recommendation but shipman basically ended a single doctor practices uh because there was essentially no checks and balances no one else to you know make sure he was doing what he was supposed to be doing so after after him it now be, it became common and regular and expected that a practice works with multiple doctors and that multiple doctors work on a patient so they can all check each other. <laughs> hey, Frank, you murdered anybody today? No, how about you, Bob? No, I'm good. I mean, you know, it's it's the buddy system on another level. Except if you get a whole group of murdering doctors together. Well, hopefully there's that's not going to happen. That's, that's just the hope anyway. I mean... Yeah, we, we may have created the terrible system that brings all these psychos together and they're like, ha, we'll never be caught and we've got five times the amount of bodies. Now... I will also say that while his youngest confirmed victim was 41, he is suspected of killing someone as young as four. So it kind of oh, throws a big wrench. Really backfired on me. Yeah, it kind of throws a wrench into the modus operandi, right? So. Yeah. I mean, I feel like definitely the motive of, like, if you look at any of our murderers, it's like, well, you might see where their ideas kind of settled in, but the truth is they're just crazy. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, I know that at least in, like, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that Eileen probably stole. I mean, she, oh, actually, she left the bodies naked. Of course she stole off of them. So all three cases, monetary gain is a big part of it. Like, it seemed like um, Dr. Death here might have had some sort of morality at the beginning, but at the end he was trying to fake wills and he was stealing jewelry off of his victims. So at the end of the day, capitalism is the true villain. Got it. Okay. Yeah, you use that to support your, your system. I'm sure that, that works for you. So. <laughs> Alright, well, this was a lot more morbid and dour than I planned, so uh, let's move on to suggestions of the week. Axel? Uh, actually, I do have an extremely positive suggestion to try to offset all this morbidity, <laughs> which I will blame you for, by the way. Uh, I want to recommend Robert Irwin, who I've only recently discovered, although it, you know he's been around for a while now. Um, you remember, obviously, Steve Irwin? 
the crocodile yeah, I hunter. Think there's a relation here. It's Robert Irwin's his son, and he's really taken up the mantle. I mean, he's only like 14 right now, so he doesn't have the training. But I, I just last night, uh, I had Marquis over, and we binged watched every time Robert Irwin's come on the the whatever show with Jimmy. F- um, is it Fallon? I think it's Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, just like just like his dad, he's super excited, super energetic, super like just happy to be there to have these animals, and you know, the animals are adorable. His mom and his sister are there, and they're just this wonderful force of positivity that brought me back to when I used to watch Crocodile Hunter after school. You know, because Steve Irwin was basically a superhero, and Rob Irwin. I I hope that the performance or the what i've seen from him is genuine like i'd be really sad to find out it's you know just an actor or something but it seems genuine and his family is just awesome and he does like a lot of charities and shows and and stuff and if uh if you haven't checked out any of the things he's done yeah just start with those youtube videos of him showing up on host you know late night shows and bringing animals it's he's great and it's great I kind of hope that, like, when his son might take some you know, lessons from some of the things that his father did. Like, I feel like, you know, it's okay to play with elephants and, like, you know, like, nice, cuddly animals and things that might not try and kill you. I feel like that's definitely, like, you know, don't go try and pick up the giant poisonous snake with your hands. I feel like that might be a good lesson. Yeah, <laughs> well, sounds like sound logic. Well, I, I would say that it's funny because after we watched all of the Rob Irwin videos, I went and just wanted to watch an old Steve Irwin video. So I found one of him showing up on Jay Leno's show. And uh, so Rob Irwin kept bringing creatures on the set that were like, oh, pygmy goats. Uh, it was a kind of toucan. Um, a tarantula. You know, just stuff that he could obviously handle and it wasn't like too big a deal, really. Uh, the first video I found of Steve Irwin showing up on the late night talk show, he brought uh, baby kangaroos. It's like, okay. Then a king cobra. <laughs> Old grown, and then a 600 pound alligator, which he brought right out onto the set. And it's funny because Jay got way closer to that alligator than I would have given him credit for. So I guess I'm, I'm not getting close to anything that big that hasn't changed in as long as it has. Well, my point of bringing that up is that watching Steve handle the King Cobra, like, cause, you know, he was telling everyone, he's like, you know, back off. He's telling the camera guy, you know, take a few steps back. You could tell Steve was very well trained and he knew what he was doing. So that's why I like I I don't want to um what's the word uh understate that like what ended up happening with Steve is you know certainly a tragedy but I wouldn't uh dismiss how much of an expert he was at dealing with those oh, yeah. kind of creatures. Yeah, everyone said that one was totally out of his control. Yeah, exactly. So like if Rob reaches the point where he's handling king cobras on set, I would expect him having been raised in the Australia Zoo to be as trained at that point as his father obviously was. Hmm. All right. Well, I got a couple suggestions. The first is a totally random stumble upon. It's a YouTube channel called Zorpazor. I don't know the name. And I stumbled on it because Games Workshop just launched a new miniature war game for Lord of the Rings. I'm like, well, I like Lord of the Rings and I like, you know, tabletop miniature games. Let's check this out. And I stumbled across this channel and he has a couple, you know, battle reports of him playing it. But his real draws are these masterfully created uh, sceneries that he creates, rather recreates from the movies. They're about 20 to an hour long, and he will take a specific landmark or battlefield or something 
from the movies and recreate it. And they are just so detailed and they look so awesome. And he makes it look so easy that I'm almost convinced myself. It's like, oh, I could do that. Like he recreated uh, yeah, Ruins of Oz Gilead, and it took him, I think he said it was a seven year project, but it's fucking amazing. Like it looks like one of the miniatures from the movie. Mm. So that's just a dumb little fun nerd thing. If you've got, you know, an hour or two to kill, just go check out his channel and watch some of his terrain stuff. I mean, there's not a lot of it up there because it takes him so long to produce, but the level of detail is amazing. May I interrupt you before you go on to your next one? Unless you had something to say, Craig. I heard you breathe. Um, I was going to, oh, you must be able to, must be really sensitive. Um, I was going to mention, I mean, I think that Ulrich does the most tabletop and I know he spends a lot of time trying to build s- some scenery for um, both. Uh, he only does 40 K this time, right? You I just started AOS this week. Yeah. That finally caved into the thing you didn't want to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I know that you said you spend a lot of time both on your miniatures and on that scenery. So I feel like it's definitely, uh, you know, it's very cool to see other people and see what they've done and how you can kind of apply it to your own work and stuff like that. Like I said, they're incredible. They look like the miniatures from the movie. That is very cool. I, I just want to interrupt you because I have one more uncomfortable thing to share, and I want to do it before the end so we don't have to end on this note, <laughs> uh, which is literally the three scariest words I think I have ever read. Right. So I'm looking at this list of serial killers by number of victim count, right, or the highest victim count. The number two on the list is a guy named Pedro Lopez, who's Colombia, Peru, Ecuador, with over 300 vi- uh, victims. He's a child murderer and a rapist known as the Monster of the Andes, uh, mostly targeting young girls. But the the end of his little notes section says this. I'm going to quote it for, verbatim. Despite being believed to be one of the most prolific serial killers of the 20th century, he was released in 1998. Current whereabouts unknown. You know... We were this close to getting through the podcast and, you know, going, wow, that was dark and that was heavy. But, hey, Lord of the Rings miniatures and cool terrain shit and Steve Irwin. And now you got us all going, great. Now I got to watch My Neighbor Could Be a Serial Killer. Thanks I'm sorry. I had to. It's literally the scariest. You had to? Really? You had to? I've ever seen. And you brought us into this conversation. So (laughs) So now I got to worry my neighbor's a serial killer. Thanks. So now everyone's essentially like, yeah, great. Now I got to lock the door. And it's not safe. I, who knows wh- who my upstairs neighbor is? Who now I have another reason to hate him. Like you need Axel. God damn it! All right. Well, trying to get us back on the track of positivity, I discovered a new podcast on SoundCloud called Geek History Lesson. Mm. I remember uh, seeing that when I was looking for our channel on SoundCloud. <laughs> they're all. They're a really great podcast. They're about an hour long, and what they do is they take a comic book character. Uh, video game character, movie character, something from pop culture, and give you the entire history and rundown of it, as well as suggesting, if you found this interesting, here is the thing to watch, read, listen to, to find out more about them. And I've been burning through their podcast because it's really well done. And they actually got me to like Cyclops. <laughs> I don't like, like, their whole deep, like, though, they go through all of Cyclops' history. It's like, okay, Cyclops is actually interesting, and I might pick up some X-Men comics which I think is the best part of this podcast. Every podcast ends with, okay, now here are a few comics we think you should read and here's where to buy them. And they're really useful. Like, you know, they, they typically tie it to, you know, movie or TV releases. So you're like, okay, I know there's a Captain Marvel movie coming out. 
what do I need to know about Captain Marvel? You go, you listen to their entire thing, and you're like, oh, wow, cool. And now I have a bunch of comics I can go read on it, which I love comics, but one of the hardest things is knowing where's a good point to jump in with a character you like. I was going to ask, I mean, something that I've never really, I think even my generation, I'm not being that old. I feel like not a whole lot of my generation really spends a lot of time on uh, comic books because it's just not something we really grew up with. And I feel like even now, like looking at it, I go to a comic book store and I look at them. I think those are really cool, but I have no clue where should I start? What, you know, what do I want to read? Like, is it worth like how much, you know, it costs to like read these different stories so well yeah, two and i things, would say this podcast is a great place to start because they do that they will break down your favorite character give you everything you need to know about them and then end it with now if you go here we have an amazon link directly to this comic book story which is a great one for beginners yeah that's fine i was gonna uh, the two things i was gonna say is you know one the comics industry is not in a good place like comic material may dominate popular culture but the actual comics industry not great, which is why there really aren't comic book stores anymore. There are hobby shops that also sell comics. They're <laughs> starting to get their shit together because they're taking on the manga approach of we're going to publish six stories every three months in a collected edition. Yeah, uh, Tonkaban format is what that's called. Um, but yeah, and then the second thing I was going to say is generally speaking, the advice I've always been told is, is that it's it's very easy to get intimidated by the breadth of uh or the density of comics. So really, generally speaking, the best place to start is just anywhere. Just pick something up, start reading it. But if yeah. these, if this podcast is interesting and they give you a, a good place they think to start, that sounds like good, uh, good material. No, they got a great energy. They're really entertained. I said I, they've got over 200 episodes, and I burned through most of them over the course of a week just because the amount of podcasts I listen to every week. So yeah, those are my suggestions that are not connected to serial killers or the fact that my neighbor is planning to kill me. Uh, Krug, take us out. Uh, so I guess my suggestion for the week, because uh, I didn't, I don't know what you guys usually suggest. Um, All right, just so you know, this format is literally anything. <laughs> the, the The idea of the suggestions of the week is, what would you like anyone listening to give a shot? Uh, I guess yeah, yo, definitely. I guess it's true. I mean, you guys is definitely have. I don't know if, what your niche market is, but. Um, so my recommendation was Broforce, which is uh, it's a recent it's like an arcade game that I picked up on PC recently. It's like I think not on sale. It's like fifteen bucks at most, and it's nothing but like a like a two D arcade shooter, and it's about as simple as it gets. And you can play it about on any any old computer. Um, and what's kind of fun about it is it's basically the whole game is based around taking out the devil with. Uh, characters from like every famous like manly movie you can think of like you can play as indiana brones which is indiana jones you can <laughs> oh, play yeah. all their names have bro in them <laughs> bro in them yeah you can play as the guys from terminator you can play as the Brum, guys yeah. from uh you know predator you can pretty Judge much any <laughs> any any character you can think of from any famous manly movie it's pretty much in there and it I don't know. It's just fun getting to to play with those characters. Just just to take out the devil is like a simple purpose. It's a very basic game, and you just have fun with these. It's a very fun, quick in and out game. Yeah, literally think Metal Slug, but you're playing as like chibi little versions of every movie manly movie character ever. Oh, Ripley's in there. I don't know what her bro is, but <laughs> Ripley. I yeah I don't know I'm not certain either um yeah but there are there are tons of Arnold shows up in like 
Arnold Schwarzenegger's in there as like four or five different characters because yeah, like, the, the, the Terminator's in there, but so is Dutch from Predator, and so is like him from uh, like Last Action Hero. It's I don't know, but that he's in there. About times. that man's acting career. And what's in, yeah, each one of them kind of has like weapons, like special abilities that are tailored like only to like that character. Um, like as a Terminator, you wield a giant minigun, I think, and you can like your you have a special ability that makes you turn into the Terminator, stuff like that. It's all like just very simple, but yeah. tailored to each character. I know that uh, Agent Bro, I think, is what it is, which is Will Smith from Men in Black. He has the the noisy cricket. So <laughs> I'm gonna have to check this one out. Oh, it's pretty up here. I well, I don't know exactly how you are. Well, if you like Metal Slug, then definitely Metal Slug is awesome. Then yes, you should definitely play this. <laughs> It's uh, it's also multiplayer. It's so you can you can get. I think I don't know if it's two. Fr- I think it's up to four friends. So you can throw in there. So all you guys like all your friends can can get together and like rotate through the characters and get extra lives. And then like so all of you can kind of like experience like you know going through it together. See that's another thing about it that's interesting, which is uh, I don't know if this is a default setting or not because I haven't played it. I've just watched it played a lot, but it doesn't lock you into one character. Like you play and you die, and instead of just coming back to life you come back to life as the next character in the rotation. So, like, you're just rotating through the character. Yeah, and, like, yeah, and the the more you play it, like, the more characters you unlock to be added to the rotation. And so, yeah, and then you'll you'll find that, you like, there's characters you like to play as more than others and stuff like that. But it's really basic, so it doesn't really require too much of a skill. All right. Well, that was a good suggestion, and we managed to end on a happy note, unless Axel wants to tell us something else terrifying that will ruin the episode. I'm still blaming you. So, <laughs> Fine. Well, thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Uh, the more people that see this, the better it does in the YouTube algorithm. Also, comments, likes, all that random stuff that goes towards feeding the esoteric monster that is the YouTube algorithm. Um, if you'd like to help the show out more, please visit our Patreon page, Geeks with Shields. It only costs you a dollar a month, which is only 25 cents per episode, and that goes a long ways towards helping us with the running of the podcast. And the floating card in front of my face says I'm supposed to push social media, so yeah, if you want to keep up with us, we're on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll put links in the, the thing above below. I've I've made a Twitch account, but I haven't got it really like up and running yet, mostly because I want Wretched to help me out with it, and I haven't had time to do that recently. So Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> and don't worry, as soon as I figure out how to make that floating card say, hey, listen. I- <laughs> as always, this has been Lord Turner Ulrich. Uh, we'd like to thank Krug for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you very much. And this is the Shield Brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable. <laughs>